I don't know something funny? I think it's funny. Actually, I think it's embarrassing. But you might find it funny. I set my timer wrong the first service. <laughs> so that's why we were late. My apologies. What's that? Somebody said something. Anyhow. You know, trying to figure out the three services has been interesting. So um, anyhow, I digress. Um, Lord, we're just grateful for your presence today in this place. Um, we're thankful for who you are and what you are doing. And uh, we just want to tap into all that you have for us today. We ask that you would speak to us, move in our lives, bring joy to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Ah, I'm excited. So Acts chapter 2 um, Acts chapter 2, last week we began it and we talked about what it looked like for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the church, right? Um, if, if you tracked with me, some people did. We, we, um, sorry, I'm putting the timer out there so I don't do it again. Um, if you track with me, maybe reading Acts chapter 2 this week, then at the beginning of it, you, what you saw was a people that were filled with the Spirit of God, right? That's what happened. It says, when the day of Pentecost fully came, they were all together, and what sounded like a mighty rushing wind came, and fire came, and boom, God poured out his spirit on people. I love that stuff. I love it. If you've ever been around, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit being poured out, that's my cup of tea. Uh, you can read down through, and you read about divine encounters that God had with people, whether it was through tongues or a whole bunch of stuff that God began to do in his church after the day of Pentecost. It's super exciting. And... Uh, Honestly, it's a supernatural display of God's power through his Holy Spirit. That's really Acts chapter 2 in a nutshell. And um, what I want to talk about today is the church's response to that. So we're going to jump right in because um, I was a little late, so we're going to move along quicker. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 37. If you don't mind jumping there with me, and I'll probably skip around a little bit. But it's interesting, Peter... Peter preaches this message, and the people respond to the message. He explains what they just saw. The Holy Spirit pours out. Peter preaches this message and saying, hey, this is what you just saw. What you saw was what the prophet Joel, 900 years ago, actually prophesied. That is this. All right? And then people, the people in Jerusalem, their response to Peter's message was this word in, in 2.37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said, what shall we do? Oh, that's a good message, right? When the, when the people are cut to the heart and they're like, all right, what do we got to do? You got us. We'll do anything you want. And he begins to just um, tell them to repent and get baptized. And um, basically, the Lord added to their number that day. Well, in verse 42, now you begin to see, what did those new believers do? What did the new believers do that are now experienced that first outpouring of the Holy Spirit? How did they live life together? And verse 42 is, is where we're landing today. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. For, verse 43, And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Honestly, that probably scares some of us. Um, thinking like God's calling us to live on a commune somewhere in Idaho. Uh, sorry if you're from Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those 
being saved. Isn't that an interesting picture of the New Testament church's response to the pouring out of God? There's a massive display of supernatural activity, the fire of God, the wind of heaven, tongues, healing signs and wonders. And the majority of what we read was actually their response of living together for one another, not just for themselves. I think that's, for me personally, I don't know about you, for me personally, that's ridiculously convicting in my own life. I am your typical American. I like to live for I. <laughs> right? I like my time. I like my space. I like my ideas. Everybody knows that. I love my ideas. I like my own, you know, piece of the pie. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is we see a group of people who decided to put I aside and go after God in the midst of his people. Okay, that's where the table comes from. So you say, why is there a table here? Honestly, it doesn't have much to do with scripture. It's just that I'm Italian and I think through things through food and tables and it made sense to me at the time. So I'm gonna take those four things. <laughs> uh, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And we're gonna talk about them as if it's the Lord inviting us to a table. Is that all right? I'll move this out of the way. Um, the first one, the apostles' teaching. What I actually call this table is the table of invitation. And we'll get there to, as to why. Um, because I, I, I do believe what it is is it's actually the Lord inviting us to an encounter with himself. All right? So here we are. The apostles' teaching. They gave themselves to, to being taught by the teachings of the apostle. What are the apostles teaching? What is it that that means? If I'm going to be an honest preacher, I would say, I don't really know. In the sense that there's not something that says these are the seven things that, it, that are the apostles' teaching. Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2, gives us an idea. In Hebrews 6, it says this. It says, um, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of, and it labels seven things. Six things, I lied. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, baptisms, it's plural, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I think that'd be a great place to start. You want to know what the apostles' teaching is? It's that. It's, it's, let's talk about the foundations of the faith. Let's talk about the things that kind of get us going into a relationship with God, right? And those things, those things are all, are all throughout the Word of God. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have as the Gospels, they are the story of, of the good news. And then you have these things, it's a we word we use nowhere else except for church, called the epistles, which are simply the letters that great men of God wrote to different people in churches, telling them their teachings. Hey, this is how to live. This is what it means to have faith. This is how we love one another when it's difficult. This is how we relate to government. This is how we pray for the sick. Just a whole myriad of things. So if I, if I was to say, what is the apostles' teaching? I would say, honestly, it's encapsulated in the New Testament. Like, there's 27 books there. Dig in, right? But probably what's more important than that question about what is the apostles' teaching? Because you can open your Bible and you can find out what the Lord's teaching us, would be this question, which is who? Who's the teacher? That's easy. 
The Lord gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I actually said them out of order this morning, which really screwed me up. I got them right this time, right? In Ephesians, it says that God gave us gifts into the church, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher for the building up of the body so that we could become more like Jesus is basically what it's saying, so we could become and look like him. But I'd like to propose to you that the teaching gift is the gift that facilitates the teaching but isn't actually the teacher. I'd like to propose to you this morning that the Holy Spirit is actually the teacher. In, the, in Little John, I like to call the first epistle of John is Little John. It's a little book of John. 1 John 1, at the very beginning, when there's an introduction, it gives us some... Um, oh, I'm, I jumped. I went to the wrong scripture. My apologies. It's 1 John 2. Um, so we're into the second chapter. It gives us some uh, insight into this, where he says, As for you, as for me, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. Also a churchy word. What does anointing mean? It actually just means smearing. You've been smeared with the Holy Spirit. That, that The presence of the Holy Spirit on you remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you because the anointing teaches you about all things. And as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. The anointing of the Holy Spirit teaches us. Now, he may teach us through teachers, and many times he does. That's their gift. They break open the word of God. They begin to speak to us. But he's the one who teaches. How do I know this is true? Because two people could sit on the front row and, and one person's receiving massive divine revelation while the other one is playing solitaire on their phone. I don't know if people still play that. Candy Crush. I don't know what they play. You know what I mean? Like um, They're hearing the same amount of information. They're hearing the same verses but the Holy Spirit and the anointing on one person is bringing life to that word. That's the apostles' teaching. And I want to propose to you that the apostles' teaching in this table is a table of invitation. It says in John, um, more about the teacher. Let me give you one more verse. Uh, 1426, Jesus said this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said. He's the teacher. So we have this book. We have this book of the called the Bible. We have this table called the Apostles' Teaching that I like to call the Table of Invitation. And what, what is it? It's, it's as we open up his word, he meets us. Now, in, in a church our size, a church any size really, I know that there's people that will completely understand what I have to say and others that might be a little bit fuzzy, but bear with me. Um, this book can be two things. This book can be what the Bible actually says is a dead letter, meaning that there's not life there. It's just kind of like I'm figuring things out and trying to, you know, memorize my scripture. I, it's a true story. Um, when I was a teenager, I worked with a, a lady who was the national Bible memorization champion in, in the United States. She literally knew entire books of the Bible by heart. I, I don't, it amazed me, and I'm not going to lie, I was a little jealous um, there, she had absolutely no life. It was so dead. It was rote memorization of something she learned on a page and not about a person. And what I want to suggest to, to us is at this table of apostles teaching, what, what those people in Acts 2 actually gathered around wasn't learning about Jesus, but encountering Jesus through his word. Amen? And when we sit at this table, the teacher sits across from us as we open the word, and he reaches across the table and says, have you seen this? And all of a sudden, that thing, you ever have this? You're in your devotions or whatever it is, and you read, 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 all of a sudden, something pops off the page. And you're like, I've read that 50 times, but this morning, there's life there. 
You ever have that experience? Yeah, yeah, a lot of us have. Now, now, I want to also suggest to us that we don't sit at this table. How do I, maybe a better way to put this is we don't pull the chair out ourselves. There are, um, there's, there's somebody else that pulls the chair out. I'm going to personify things that aren't real people, so bear with me. That's just how I am. Um, when the Holy Spirit begins to um, bring light to something in Scripture on us, he's giving us an opportunity. He's actually inviting us in. Hey, Tom, I want you to, I want you to read this Scripture. It has to do with X, Y, Z. And you begin to read like, wow, if I believe that, that actually changes everything. It changes how I think. It changes how I live my life. It changes how I relate to my family. That's called conviction right there, where God shines his light on our heart, right? And he begins to shine into the dark places and convict us that we're not living right. There's not. Now, interestingly enough, the accuser of the brethren likes to do something similar. It's a counterfeit. It's called shame. But God doesn't do that. He shines his light into your, into your life, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is this divine invitation to take a step further. Come here, I got something good. If you would just sit down, I got something good for you. And it gives us an invitation to do one thing, which is respond. And our response is called repentance. Our response is when we take and say, you know what, I choose. Whatever, wherever this leads me, I'm going um, to say yes. And the funniest thing, this is, this is the classic. People get, <laughs> people get touched by the Holy Spirit. You hear, at least I used to when I was younger. People would always be like, well... I just felt like if I said yes to God, he's going to send me to deepest Africa. First off, like, that's terrible. I love Africa. Uh, but secondly, we have these ideas like things are, like God is going to want us to do something terrible. No, no, it's never that way. God, God invites us into an encounter with him. And, and I, let me suggest it this way. Conviction and repentance are the doormen into the presence of God. If we'll respond to his doormen, the people, the, the, that conviction and those, that repentance, if we respond to the word of God, the teaching of the apostles, with a heart that's, that's humble and ready to hear from God, all they do, conviction and repentance, is pull a chair out for you and say, hey, have a seat. Now you're ready to hear from the master. And you sit down and the Holy Spirit himself begins to teach you and life happens. The truth of the matter is, if, if, if I'm going to be honest, sometimes I've talked, and maybe you've heard people like me, talk about conviction and repentance as if they're somehow negative. They're absolutely not. They're absolutely beautiful. And they're absolutely key to what God wants us to experience in the, at the table of the apostles' teaching. Let me give you an example, I guess. Your struggle, I've had this, I talked to somebody today. I have this every week probably for the past uh, two weeks. Uh, the Lord wants people free. I don't know if you know that. Um, and, and there's a plague on our society that's not just COVID, um, but of drugs and alcohol addiction. And every week, probably for the last two months, in this church, in this building, I've, been, I've met people um, who, who the Lord has brought here because he's freeing them. And we're part of that journey. And how many know we can sit down and we can decide, okay, and I'm not, I'm not ever going to knock anybody. If you're going after freedom, you go after it. There's, there's no wrong way. Just go after it, right? God wants us free. Um, and, and, and sometimes we try to white-knuckle as much as we can. And we try, to, we try to find freedom. We try to go after freedom. We try to see what God, you know, what's the seven steps to the eight ways to do this, the, the, you know, whatever. At least in my life, this is what happened. And then the Lord shows me a verse in Romans where he says, hey, Tom, why don't you consider yourself dead to sin? What do you mean? 
Why don't you consider yourself not a sinner? Why don't you consider yourself dead to that thing, that the nature in you that used to have a propensity from sin, now that you're a believer, you're dead to that. And if you're dead to that, then that sin no longer reigns in your body. That sin no longer is a master over you. So you don't, you don't relate to that sin as somebody under bondage. You relate to that sin as somebody walking in freedom. What if you begin to walk your life out as a free son or daughter in the Lord and not as some slave to sin that's going to bring you down to the pit of hell? And I think that those promises, when God invites us into his promises and he invites us into the living word, he invites us into a place where life happens and our heart becomes free to live fully as sons and daughters of the king. I hear your amen. Thank you. Um, I, I just think it's really true. I think that one of the things in 2021 in my own heart that I want to value is I want to see every moment of conviction and repentance as beautiful. It's, an, it's, it's God's party invitation of saying, hey, I, I have something for you. Come on in. Amen. Jesus stands at that door. We know the scripture and he knocks. He knocks. And if we'll respond, we don't just get to sit down and have a great Sunday morning service. We get to sit down with the king as he opens up life to us. I can't get away from this scripture where Jesus, he said, hey, a whole bunch of people are leaving. And he looks at Peter, he says, what about you? Are you leaving? And Peter, I think I said it last week, and Peter says, well, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What did he mean by that? He meant, Jesus, when you speak, something happens. Something comes alive on the inside of me, and it makes me want to walk right with God. And it makes me want to tell people about Jesus. I don't have to choose, I don't have to try to do anything. It's when you speak your living words to me, everything changes. And all of a sudden, my situation may be the same, but my heart is filled with joy and faith. My heart is filled with um, hope and destiny. And I think that's what Peter meant when he said, you have the words of eternal life. Now, how do you get there? How do you get to the, the, the teaching? So some of us, if we're going to be honest, there's, there's times, right, we, we pick up the Bible and we're like, wow, my Bible reading plan has me in you know, whatever, some, some difficult thing that you're not connecting with, right? You're reading through genealogies in the book of Numbers or something, and you're like, this is very difficult for me. I would say this. I'd say, read through the Bible. Go for it. But I'd also say that we also need those times where we say, God, I'm not leaving this moment until you speak to me. And I don't have a five- or seven-step plan on how you how you get to the place of opening yourself up to God. But I do want to suggest one thing, and it's out of Psalm 42. And it's a, it's a verse that I think is key for us in encountering God and his word. It's Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, and it says simply this, as the deer pants for streams of water. Think about thirsty. You're thirsty. I'm looking for water. I, I, I got to find that, that living water. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. I think that's a key that we get hungry and thirsty after the things of God. And we decide that even though this table of invitation is there and it's ready for us, God says, you still have to pursue me to get here. You can open up your Bible, any one of us can, and we can read, but there's gotta be something of a pursuit. I, there's this phrase, and I don't even know who said it, but he just talked about the, uh, the fellowship of the burning hearts. And that struck me over the last couple of days. There's a fellowship of people across different churches and denominations that are just believers in Jesus. And the only thing we have in common outside of, of just the gospel is the fact that our hearts burn alive for the presence of God. Our hearts burn. I remember sitting under a lady. She was super old. 
Uh, I love uh, old people on fire for God. She was super old, and she said with tears in her eyes, she said, once I, once I encountered the living God and his presence in my life in and through the word of God, she goes, I actually told him, I said, God, if you ever take your presence away from me and your anointing from my life, I ask by your mercy that you take me home. That's pursuit. Does that stir anybody else up? That gets, it makes me want to take my coat off. It's a little hot in here, Right? That's the truth. Like, I just want to pursue God because, look, it, we all know after, after kind of what we've been going through this last year, a lot of things that used to be important to us have now come into focus, and we realize what really is important to us. Amen? All right. Um, lastly, I guess I would just say about this table, i got to move on to the other ones, is um, how do you know how do you know, if, if you've never had this experience, how do you know that the word of God is alive? How do you know that you're sitting at the apostles' table? How do you, how do you realize if you've kind of encountered God in that way? And I would say if you haven't, if you've never, in, and you say, I don't understand quite this, I'll, I'll just say it really simply, that dead things don't talk. Is that right? Yeah. Dead things just don't talk. Living things speak. And the Bible doesn't say that uh, my sheep at one point in their journey will know my voice. The Bible says my sheep know my voice. Now you may not, all, as we walk with God at the beginning, we don't recognize it. We, he, we gotta learn. It's, it's okay if you're in a place of saying, I don't really understand. It's fine. The truth of the matter is, as believers, you and I do know the voice of God. We just might not always recognize it right now. Sometimes, and this was a very, this was, this was a very difficult lesson for me. This is like confession time. Um, for me, the voice of the Lord actually has come through my wife. <laughs> Somebody laughed. Some husband saying, oh me. It's true. You know what I mean? The voice of God can come through other people. The voice of God can come through the word of God. But how do you know when you're sitting at that table? It's because all of a sudden there's life coming and something alive speaks to your, your, your heart. All right. Lord, let your living word touch our life. So we got, the, we got this. So now we've, we've sat at the, the apostles' table uh, teaching, right? We've sat, me and you, we've, me and the Lord, we've sat together, we've, we've encountered God. The next thing that they did in Acts chapter 2, and I, I, I'm not saying it's progressive. I think it, I think it is, but I can't prove that to you, is they opened this table up. It used to be a table of just two chairs. Because how many know if you're in a church of 700, the Holy Spirit still works on you individually, He's still teaching you, right, one-on-one. -on -one. I believe the table of the apostles' teaching, although, although we, sit, we may be publicly in groups, it happens individually. It happens as you and I encounter God individually. The second table is the table of fellowship, which is interesting because the word fellowship, that's where we take another couple chairs and we bring them to the table. The table of fellowship is just, it means together. It means join together like in purpose. It means... Um, communion. It means even possibly a sense of intimacy. But it can't simply mean together, because if I go work out at the Y, I'm together with people, but that's not fellowship. There's got to be something different. And this is where uh, 1 John chapter 1 comes in. This is, this is an exciting connection for me, because I think it gives um, value to the word fellowship that we toss around all the time that kind of, honestly, it's just more of a religious word for me than anything that actually has supernatural power behind it until I read this. So this is the introduction of John. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, I believe is the next word, looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. So what's he saying? We've seen, we've heard, we've touched, we've been a part of it, we're proclaiming it. He's talking about the apostles' teaching. He's saying, look it, I'm teaching you. This letter, I'm teaching you what I know from experience with Jesus. Keep going on, verse 2. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we, pro- we proclaim to you the, the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Once again, that's the apostles' teaching. He's saying, I'm sharing with you my firsthand experience of what the Lord, the living word, spoke into my life. But the next two words are what just changed everything for me. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that... So what's the point of the apostles' teaching? So that you also may have fellowship with us. So that we can pull a couple extra chairs up to the table and that all together now, where it used to be just an encounter with me and the Holy Spirit, now we get to have that encounter together at the table of fellowship. And we're actually encountering Jesus as family. You ever have those experiences? You're sitting together with somebody late at night, maybe after dinner, and uh, things turn to the Lord, and you begin to talk about the things of God. And much like those guys on the road to Eumaeus, when your friends left, you turn to your spouse or your friend or your roommate, and you say, didn't our hearts burn within us? We just began to talk about Jesus, and it just brought such life. Now, I'm not saying that fellowship always has to be heavy, deep, and real. Sometimes fellowship is fishing. (laughs) Sometimes fellowship is helping somebody change a flat tire in their car, and you're just hanging out together. Amen? 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 But the, the point is, what makes it fellowship is this right here. It's that you have a unity in God based on an, an, an encounter with Jesus. You have all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You are all drinking, the scripture says, of the same water, the water of living, of, of, of life. That's what makes it fellowship, not just being together. Now here's a shameless plug, because I happen to be the guy in charge of life groups. <laughs> At the end of January, we're going to kick off life groups. And I want to encourage you that if God's ever put something on your heart to be a part of one, lead one, uh, maybe you have an idea and you want to run it by me, I'd love to have a conversation. Because in 2021, if I'm going to be super honest, we all know this, fellowship, however that looks, on Zoom or at homes or in a park, is challenging, right? There's a lot going on. and go, we, we got to figure out new ways to connect with each other in a meaningful way that helps us all gather together. And so if God's putting something on your heart, reach out to me. Call the church. My email's tom at newlifemain.org. Shoot me a message. I'd love to hear from you. But fellowship, I believe, is critically important to the church because so much happens here to bring the church together to a place of unity. There's an old book by a man named F.F. F. Bosworth called Christ the Healer. Um, if you love reading about healing, it's a great book. But he's got a little tiny paragraph in there where people asked him, this was back in the, whatever it was, probably 50s. Why don't we see, which is ironic because in the 40s and the 50s they had a big healing movement, but they asked him, why don't we see um, healing like they did in the days of Jesus? And maybe Bosworth was earlier than that, I don't know. But in this little paragraph, his response was, and I wonder. He's like, I don't know, but I wonder. I wonder if it has to do with that little phrase in the, in the, in, in the, in the book of Acts that said, and they were all together in one accord. I wonder if there's something to the body of Christ being in unity together that brings a fuller expression of God in our midst. 
to the point where, like it says in Acts chapter 2, that God poured out so powerfully in signs and wonders and miracles, it says that people were just in awe. Just in awe. I don't even know what to think. You ever been there? I don't even know what to think. I don't have a way to process that. That just blew a gasket in my brain. Isn't that awesome? I, I wonder. I wonder if it has something to do with the table of fellowship and unity. Two more we're going to jump into real quick. The third uh, one is the table, um, I call it of hospitality. The scripture says breaking bread together. I love bread. I just got to say that. I'm sorry for those of you that can't eat this wonderful basket of bread. There is something about um, eating together, and once again, maybe it is my, my heritage, but I, I just know that as, I just know a lot happens around a table with food that for some reason, and I don't even have the scripture verse for it, doesn't happen anywhere else. But when you sit down and you eat together, you invite somebody into your home, you get past the barrier of inconvenience, and you say, we're going to change our schedule, we're going to take the expense, we're going to do whatever we need to have those people into our house, have a meal together, share breakfast or dinner together, just, just spend the time in the intimacy of our own home. There's stuff that happens in your home, in my home, that will never happen in this building. And that's just the truth. It doesn't make one better than the other, it just means that's true. And so um, an interesting uh, verse about this, but I'm not going to actually go there, but we'll just, um, it is that scripture talks about the walk to Emmaus. Remember where Jesus appeared after he rose again? After he rose, I mean. And he, um, he's walking with these guys who didn't know him, and he's like, hey, what's all the hubbub? And they're like, how do you not know? This is what happened. Well, then he begins to teach them the truth. Jesus begins to teach these guys who don't know who he is because he's kind of hiding himself from them. He's kind of blinded their eyes. He begins to teach them and share with them uh, who he is. And it says that he kind of was going to pretend to walk on. And those guys said, well, why don't you come and stay with us? And so he did. He we went into their house. And it's in Luke 24. Give me just a minute. I've got to jump there. Because um, it's key. It says, actually, these words. It says, and as they sat at the table... When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and he began to give it to them, and their eyes were opened. What if, and I'm just, I'm going to throw this out there, you can dig into the word and tell me if I'm right or not. What if there's revelation of who Jesus is that only happens as we come to the table of hospitality, break bread together, and come as a people loving Jesus around the normalcy of just eating a meal? Just a thought. And the last one, Last table is now we've kind of, we've got the apostles teaching, we've got the invitation to meet with God, we've got the unity of the brethren, we're, we're breaking bread together, living life together, they're sharing, they're sharing money, they're sharing all sorts of things. I, I wonder, I wonder if it's progressive, because I wonder if you're now at that point, the Lord's like, all right, why don't you pray together? Your hearts now have spent time becoming unified, that'd be a good place for you to pray. And Ecclesiastes 5.1 gives us a little bit of insight on what that could look like. Because it talks about the house of God. And in the New Testament, the house of God is what? It's not this building. It's us. In Ecclesiastes 5.1, the Lord says, When you come to the house of God, come to hear, rather than give the sacrifice of fools. And I think as a New Testament church, as we come into a place, and I believe the Lord is building on the unity we already have, 
He's building on the strength we already have as a church. He's building on the apostles' teaching in the place of invitation and intimacy. And he's saying, new life, we're going to take it to another level. As we come into that place, we're going to also come to a place as we sit together where we more purposefully sit together to hear his heart than to just tell him ours. Amen? I think that's exciting. I want you to know that I, I, I believe... Um, I believe that this, for me, as I kind of go through this, I was telling some guys this morning, um, this has been a transformative kind of process for me because in all honesty, if I'm going to be honest, Acts chapter 2 for me has only ever been about um, tongues and healing and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the sense that I just love power encounters with God. I love the legs that grow. I love the deaf ears that pop open. I love seeing God do all that stuff. And I don't want to say that. that I still do. <laughs> I love all that stuff. But what I'm finding is, you know what God also loves? He also loves this. He also loves, in a divided culture, his church coming together and choosing to value the thing that's most important. We live in a culture that's filled with racial divide, filled with political divide, filled with a cancel culture that wants to cancel each other. And more than anything, I think if we want to preach the gospel, we become an answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17 where he said, Father, I pray that they would be one. Why? Then the world will know. Why would unity be a witness to the world unless the world only had division? He's saying the one place that we as the people of God can lead powerfully in this season. They're not, they're not necessarily going to listen to me street preaching on a soapbox, but when they see the people of God of different races, of dis- different ethnicities, of different uh, political structures, political ideas, come together and be unified and say, you know what, that stuff, is, that stuff is secondary. It doesn't make it not important. It just means it's not the most important. It just means I'm willing to sit back and hear the heart of my brother or sister in Christ because Jesus lives in them and they're part of the fellowship of the burning heart and I can trust them. I want to say I I believe that is going to witness to a world who right now is seeing that nowhere. Nobody's leading in that. Nobody. But I think that the Lord is calling you and I to do that. And that's going to happen around tables. It's going to happen in our workplace. It's going to happen. It's not going to happen on Facebook. I mean, it could. I don't know. I have no faith in that. It's going to happen as people get together and actually share real life together, share hearts together, share meals together. And I think it's, it's quite possible that when the, when, the, when the Scripture says that the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, that might actually just begin to happen in our homes. God says you've always thought it's going to happen in a church building, but I think it might actually begin to happen as you share life together. Put a value on these times together. And I can't speak for you right now, especially during COVID, that could look different for everybody. Um, And I'm not telling you how to do that. I'm just saying that's where we're going. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Um, As I close out on time, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) You don't have to agree with me that strongly. There's amens from the back. (laughs) <laughs> I want to read something that I, I, I feel is, is, is true. The, the truth is, some people would say, I, don't, I like what you're saying, Pastor Tom, but I don't know how to get there. And I want to say the best way to get there is being as ridiculously honest with God as you can. And just saying to him, God, I don't know. 
I know that I want what this guy has and what the scripture shows me is true, but I don't know how that looks because I'm not sure we've ever seen it fully. We've probably seen it in parts, right? Especially around here. I think part of the strength of this church is we do have a lot of people who are different, who do come together around the table and set aside their differences to love one another because of Jesus. I think that's one of our strengths, but I think he's going to do more. I think he's going to ratchet up a notch. Here's my thing. I'm just going to end with this, and we'll pray. We'll be done. Hopefully my alarm won't go off. Let me turn that off before we get embarrassed. Okay, minute and 12 left. I believe in 2021 that this year, and this is kind of out of left field, so just bear with me because I think this has to do for somebody, maybe just for me, is a year for some of us, in the sound of my voice, who've never honestly, if you're going to be honest, experienced something that I call the affection of God where he becomes more than just a nice philosophy or a good story or a good little children's you know, movie, but where you actually encounter the loving arms of a good father. And that thing that you're going after, which is freedom from your addiction or healing, you still go after that, but he takes your attention away because you become enraptured in the affection of a God who loves you like nothing you've experienced. I want to say that 2021... I pray becomes a year where we as a people allow ourselves the time to be taken up in the affection of God. I don't know about you, that just stirs my heart. I, I, I was praying last night and he, says, God, he said, just pray, pray for my people that they'd experience my love for them because it's greater than they know, it's greater than they can imagine. Father, I pray today that as we come together pursuing all that you have for us, It may be a weird prayer, but I pray that you help us imagine. I pray that we imagine the goodness of God on a level that we've never seen. I pray that you show us things that we could never be on our radar about how much you love us and the freedom that we actually get to walk in. Lord, I thank you for the the, the apostles' teaching. I thank you for your word. May it be alive this week. May it jump off the page. May some of us even encounter the the, the joy and the, the laughter and the, the, the sense of humor you have, Holy Spirit. I pray today that um, for others, I pray that you, you take us to the table of fellowship in a more meaningful way um, to gather with your people and just enjoy the people of God. For others of us, Lord, I pray that you would help us take the step to open our home and just say, God, wreck my schedule. I'm ready to love people and see your kingdom come. And I want to encourage you, if that's you today, and you say, hey, I'm on the road to that way, that, that, that place of inviting people into my home. Realize that he wants you to invite people into your home with the raw power of God available to you. As they come and they open their hearts to you, you hug them, you lay your hands on them, and you pray the fire of God into their life. And you let them know there's a God who answers by fire and that they're not in a hopeless situation. But God can change anything. I believe around that table of hospitality is a miracle-working God who's going to come in the power of love and change lives. God, I pray that as we as a church pursue one another in your heart, that we would also be in awe at your power as it's poured out. And lastly, I pray that in 2021, you would gather us as a people to come together to hear what's on your heart so that we could pursue it with joy, knowing Those are the priorities you have for us. If you agree with any of that, would you just say amen? Amen. Amen. I love you guys. 
I, I pray God's blessing on you this week. Um, as you leave, make sure to tell Pastor Justin happy birthday. And other than that, have a great week.